Welcome back, boys and ghouls, to another episode of... I can't do this. Nope. Can't in good consciousness do this, uh, even though it is that time of year. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again, flying the ship solo as we plow straight into a new month and into one of my favorite months, one of our favorite themes that we do around here. Uh, we are kicking off this October with our fifth annual Fright Fest. That is right, our fifth one. Um, previous Fright Fests include included Monster Mash last year. Uh, appropriately enough, season our, our third Fright Fest was Season of the Trilogy, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and this year we are going into, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I guess we're a month ahead of schedule uh, in, in some cases, but we're going to be talking political horror. Um, for this year's, for Fright Fest 5, political horror, uh, we're calling this one the body politic. Um, if you if you remember back in 2020, and I'm sure you do not, but if you do remember back in 2020, uh, Chum and I did some episodes on uh, heroes and villains, and one of the villains that we identified, and back then our episodes were significantly longer. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but in 2020 we had that pandemic thing. You you may or may not recall it. Um, so we didn't have. <laughs> So we had a lot of free time on our hands, and um, we did this very in-depth series about heroes and villains, um, you know, good versus evil, whatever. And we defined we defined very different types of villains that you might heroes and villains that you might see in in any particular story, you know, book, TV show, movie, whatever. And one of the villains that we identified was the body politic, and the idea with the body politic was that it literally could be some a government, right? But it could be uh, a kind of the society at large or some kind of um, bureaucracy, um, you know, any kind of large force basically that has um, that it exi- that sort of uh, is oppressive and antagonizing through, um, you know, through its own, you know, keeps its own power, power through stuff like legislation and lawmaking. Um, there are obviously physical representatives of it, you know, that, you know, could be a corrupt king or president. Um, it could be an overzealous or very or very um, you know predatory police or military force, right? So there are physical representations and manifestations of the body politic, but it's almost like this self-perpetuating um, idea more than anything that that is is causing people uh, conflict and, and antagonizing people, and so it, it felt like it was the perfect sort of. Um, you know, when we're talking political horror, the body politic uh, was too good of a was too good of a uh, title to pass up, considering we we covered the body politic previously, um, uh, previously in the podcast years and years ago. So that's what we're doing this month. We're going to dive into the intersection of pol- intersection of politics and horror, and uh, we're it's all going to be all going to be movies um, uh, this time around. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember if we only did yeah we only did movies last time too. Um, but all, all movies this time around, and we're going to be covering what I call the three branches of political horror. They're not quite the same as the three branches of our U.S. government, but pretty close. So here are the three branches of political horror. The first thing we're going to investigate is legislation, and we're going to investigate how policy changes can lead to horror, and you know how how the the actual lawmaking can in fact incite fear in people and, and the individual and then we're going to be watching uh two movies that are well we'll get we'll get to that i'll get to that a little bit uh, later here because we're going to be talking specifically about uh the two movies but 
Um, I'll reveal those two movies here at the end. Um, so that's the the first the first kind of branch of our political of our political horror government or whatever you want to call it. Um, the next branch, the elites, not necessarily the executive branch, the elites. Um, looking in this case at individual decision makers and how these people themselves can be can be very villainous or um, even be horrific, you know, almost perfect analogs for um, perfect analogs for uh, certain horror uh, themes and motifs and, and characters and things, and how and how their decision making can can cause uh, significant uh, significant horror and uh, distrust with the the people they're supposed to govern. So that's the elites. And, um, like I said, we'll, I'll get to the, I'll wrap up the, the movies we're gonna watch here in a second, in a little bit. Um, the last branch of political horror, of course, is enforcement. Um, we're gonna wrap up with how state-sanctioned violence and those who enforce it create horror. Um, of course, talking about the military, um, and even, like, the police as well. Um, you know, the, maybe our, uh, believe it or not, maybe our, our most, um, out-front example of the state is the police, uh, which always confuses and baffles me why so many right-wing people who hate the government love the police. Again, the the most out front and, and visual, physical form of the state uh, is, is in your face at all times. But anyway, so those are the three branches we're going to be covering. Legislation, the elites, and enforcement. And the movies that we're going to be covering are for legislation, Battle Royale, Battle Royale The Purge. Uh, f- these are all double features, by the way, just two movies for each one. So, Battle Royal and the Purge for legislation. Uh, for the elites, we'll be talking. We'll be watching the Dead Zone and They Live, and enforcement. We will. Uh, important note here: reserving the right to change one of these movies. Uh, That's also why I'm saving this particular part for last. But uh, enforcement, we're going to be watching right now: Day of the Dead and Death Watch. So that's how we're going to be approaching this month. All right, so let's get into it. This Minnesota is also doubling as your intro to to the to both the legislation episode and everything, uh, you know, the the totality of what we're trying to accomplish here all month long. So let's talk about it. there's there's one overall important question: um, why we chose we me why I chose politics for Fright Fest, right? And I think I think there's a lot there's a lot of good reasons, obviously, um, but I'll, I'll key on some a few ones here. That I think uh, really make really make politics fertile ground for horror, um, and I think the, the the main one probably in the most obvious one is that there is this inherent power struggle when it comes to politics. Right, there are two sides, or you know, depending on what country, depending on where you are, it could be more than two sides. What country you live in, it could be multiple. You know, there's multiple sides vying for power, but there is an inherent power struggle. And you can very easily view this power struggle through the metaphorical lens of good versus evil, right? And your side is always the side of good, of course. Um, but that's really what it breaks down to is that the people who are trying to win power that aren't the people that you're aligned with are evil people. And there's just like an inherent – this inherent power struggle just makes um, just makes for – Good ground to you know plant the plants plant certain seeds in a story uh, that could lead to uh, that can lead to horror. Um, if you any 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 particular horror any particular horror movie is usually about um, you know you're you're we're trying to stop some evil entity 
or trying to stop some evil person or evil group from essentially establishing their power. And that is really at the heart of politics, right? Especially if if you do feel like you're part of an aggrieved minority group of some kind, then it does feel like that that power struggle is more life and death and more serious. So I think that's that's the main one. Like the, the inherent power struggle of politics is also very applicable to the power struggle in horror movies. I think, you know, and and for and just sort of an, uh, more on the the real life person level, the consequences of policy are really far reaching and have a daily impact um, in our lives. And the the idea that something so every day every day essentially there are decisions being made that can impact our lives, um, some in some big and small ways. And I think that that because that has such has such far reaching consequences and impacts for so many people that it, it does feel like that there are some significant and serious stakes. So when it comes to something, when it comes to a movie like the purge where, um, you know, where literally every single person in, in that, in the reality of that particular, uh, film series, the, the, um, every single person is affected by, the consequence in the policy that was enacted by the United States. And obviously that's um, an extreme example, but there are, because there are some, because there are so many things that could change, you know, one policy shift here, or there can significantly alter and change a lot of lives. Um, if that makes, again, makes politics such a good, such a good subject to, uh, to, to base a horror story off of. And it's such a good, um, ground for us to inspect where we can find some horror in, in policy. Um, it's also very easy to make social commentary uh, via politics, uh, via horror, or I should say, excuse me, it's also very easy to make social commentary in a horror movie about politics, right? Um, in fact, I, you could argue that most, uh, let's say probably 75 to 80% of horror movies have some kind of message about a social, a social or political issue. Um, embedded in them, uh, be it a book, a movie, or TV show. Um, there is something there that gave birth to an idea in, in a horror story. Um, and I'm, it's truly not an exaggeration. Uh, I, I think when, when Chem and I last talked about this, we kind of, we kind of really figured that most, most movies in the, in the genre, in science fiction, horror genres, even comedy, uh, are, have, have some kind of seed in them that is a social commentary about something that is happening in our social or political world. And it's more pronounced in horror since it, it seems like it comes faster in horror. Um, you know, just think about Jordan Peele has made an entire career in horror off of social commentary. Uh, George R.R. R. Martin stated unequivocally that the white walkers were, um, were analogous to, climate change and the the struggle that um you know the the otherwise the, the quote-unquote the game of thrones that is being played um elsewhere in westeros is kind of how governments the united states especially but governments around the world are sort of worried about the wrong thing while this creeping you know this creeping inevitable inevitability is you know moving towards them um so there there are there are metaphors abound in horror there's social commentary abound in horror and it's very, very easy to, you know, if you want to, you want to make a horror movie about the dangers of, of medicine, you know, about the dangers of advancements in medicine, 
um, Frankenstein exists, right? So it's it's fertile ground for that kind of stuff, and it's very easy. And I don't mean that in a bad way, in easy in a bad way, but it is just a very easy way to um, to get your social commentary across. I also think that politicians and political organizations themselves are rife for really dark social commentary. Um, politicians are they just make for great villains. They're think about all the things that we ascribe to politicians. They're slimy. They're liars. They don't care about the little people or the people that they're supposed to be legis- They're supposed to be representing. They're they're in it for themselves, but they're also they also have a very two faced nature, right? Because at the same time, they're charismatic and charming and very convincing and persuasive. Uh, they're very powerful. They probably come from some kind of powerful family in- inherently. Um, so the the people that are at the heads of um, you know the heads of our political world themselves have so many kind of um characteristics and things that you could kind of play off of you know you could literally you could literally make a politician a vampire in a story um especially if, you know and and you it could be analogous to a politician like um someone like James Trafficken who was um you know taking bribes and kind of keeping for himself and taking from uh from his constituents there out in uh, eastern ohio Right, you know, very a very vampiric sort of um, figure, uh, even though he was shockingly beloved. Um, but y- you know, there there are there are some like easy metaphors like that when you when you when you begin thinking about the characteristics of the politicians themselves, and then when you think about political organizations, right? They're secretive, closed off to interlopers, aka regular people like me and you. Uh, <clears throat> the decisions, a lot of the decisions are made behind closed doors and you know these decisions are made you know uh, that really affect a lot of people but they're you know they're made by a handful of people um and i I don't and i don't just mean like you know i don't mean like just the senate and and uh you know um the house or anything like that or even like the presidency think about like the think about the political organizations like the g7 you know the, the seven most powerful people in the world get together to essentially plan how the world is going to be run um, there are other political organizations that are, um, you know, we can even actually, we can even go, you can even go down below political organizations and just think about organizations of powerful people. Like there are some secret societies like skull and bones and stuff like that, where people who are, you know, whose families have been elite for years. Um, you know, those people go through these, uh, through these secret societies and are members of them. And the, the whole kind of closed off nature of them makes it just a fantastic ground for storytelling that like yeah these people are doing something nefarious there's conspiracies there's all kinds of stuff that they're doing behind closed doors and you know when you really think about it like the power of these political institutions and these um these groups of elites their power almost feels supernatural like it it almost feels like it's something that isn't real um i also think that the the political environment is filled with a lot of loud aggressive and oftentimes violent fanatics. Um, it's obviously more more recently this has been the reality of American politics and 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 to into a large degree politics uh, around the world as we're kind of living through um, what would kind of be the the right wing equivalent equivalent of the um, you know like the 1960s and 70s kind of liberal liberal re- rebellion and summer of love and that kind of stuff. We're kind of living through the um, the alt-right, far-right version of that currently. And it does seem like, it does seem like 
politics for the regular person has become significantly more violent um, as these people, these fanatics are driven by one goal or one voice and often, you know, often, you know, show up in numbers to, to physically, to physically harm or intimidate others. It, I could be describing a cult or it could be describing a horde of zombies. Right. Um, so I, I, so I think again, there's, there's just a lot of stuff about, the politicians themselves, the political organizations, and just the political atmosphere that really lends itself to some good horror commentary. Um, and I think politics also plays into the darkest fears about about the world and ourselves. You know, like we think about, when we think about um, some of these political figures in, in movies and TV shows who are like, who are, abs- you know, who are corrupted by power, there's at least some thought that, I think everyone has the thought that like, if I was, if I was the president or if I was in charge of something, you know, I would do things differently. I would do things that like benefited people, but would you, you know, or could you, or is the system set up in such a way that whoever takes that seat is immediately kind of plugged in and part of it. And there is no escaping it. Excuse me. I had a cough a little bit there. Um, Excuse me. So I think when, when it comes to, when it comes to movies and things, we can, when we when we're setting like a when we're setting when we're setting um, a horror movie against the backdrop of politics, we can kind of more clearly see the difference between democracy as an ideal and the sort of reality of democracy when a world is in crisis. So just like think about, just briefly think about like the, the I won't get too far into this metaphor, but think about The Walking Dead and how some of the people literally call themselves the governor right um you know his the idea being that he's sort of the the stable hand of this i can't remember the name of the town newberry or maybe or mold i can't remember um you know he's like the steady hand of this town that looks like it's flourishing calls himself the governor but realistically everything's decaying and peeling underneath and the way that they keep uh their town sort of idyllic is through violence and um you know essentially illegal means um i shouldn't say illegal immoral means um and these kind of these kind of worlds create create this very interesting sort of like moral dilemma about you know would 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 you if put in a position of power in a world like the walking dead would you approach democracy as an ideal and actually meet those ideals or what's what is what would you actually do when faced with such a crisis so i think that I think that um, that politics is is really sort of laid bare in these horror scenarios, and and I think that you know just our our moral failings as people are multiplied when they're in the arena of politics. So when it comes to uh, you know when it comes to you know whatever sort of um, thinking more about like the the individual uh, individual uh, characters in these some of these political horror movies and TV shows and things. Um, just to, you know, I'll keep them, I'll stick with the, with the governor metaphor, right? This is a, the governor was in, in the walking dead was clearly a man who was disturbed by, I believe it was the, the loss of his wife and daughter, perhaps his spoiler alert for, I don't know, season from like 10 years ago now, pretty sure he's keeping his zombie daughter alive, um, like chained up somewhat, someplace. So his sort of moral failings as his, we'll just call them moral failings, but general failings as like a father, uh, or what he perceives as moral failings as a father are now informing 
are now informing his sort of political persona and thus you know his when he does ultimately fail it, it really is catastrophic for the whole community right like he brings down the whole community because of the of his of his personal failings brings down the community of, of Newberry. I can't remember if it's Newberry or whatever it's called but basically you know you get the point there his his personal failings are reflective of the failings of that entire community and since we are talking specifically about legislation for this first um, double feature, where in pol- where in policy itself can we derive horror or or see horror scenarios? And I think there's a couple of places in particular. Um, I think maybe the probably the most significant one is in civil rights legislation, right? Um, threatening people's autonomy, um, threatening their right to exist, is is everyone's like most basic fear, right? That they're their way of life can be disrupted is everyone's most basic fear, but it's, you know, amplified when the, when an entire society or an entire government is threatening someone's uh, right to exist. Um, So I think, I think that inherently thinking about like certain legislation, um, repressive policy and repressive legislation, right? Like be it anti LGBTQ policies, be it um, anti, anti-science and anti you know whatever uh policy and legislation these sort of these sort of like widespread these sort of widespread policies can kind of create this you know like this atmosphere of of anxiety and fear for the people who are at the other end of it and i think that similarly support for the repressive policies gives gives the feeling and creates gives the feeling to individual people and, and creates an atmosphere where it feels like there are people everywhere who agree that the that the people who are the targets of particular policies, um, you know, it feels like those people who are who are sympathizers for the repressive policies are everywhere, um, and it and it creates and it's very these things are done by particular governments for a reason to make people feel uneasy to make it so um, to make it so. Uh, the people that are the undesirables or the people who are being legislated against are have to be more secretive and have to stay out of the way of the people that are being favored. This isn't, this isn't this stuff like this is happening right now. I was going to say, this isn't Nazi Germany. I mean, obviously that's, that's the idea behind a lot of the, a lot of the um, official policy of Germany at at that point in time. But there are States in the United States that are, that have some extraordinarily, repressive policies that target that target certain groups of people and the the intention is in fact to either drive them out of the state or drive them to drive them almost into sort of anonymity and that sort of all of that just creates such a a toxic environment of fear and so i think that civil rights legislation um i guess you'd call it anti-civil rights legislation but i think you get the point here that's sort of maybe the most fundamental place from which fundamental uh, piece of policy making from which we can derive horror. I also think that the probably the next biggest one here is criminality, right? Something legal today might become illegal tomorrow and vice versa. Something illegal today might become legal tomorrow. And the sort of uncertainty for that of which like what might become legal or illegal uh, again, for certain groups of people, is going to be is going to be felt more 
deeply and severely. Um, in some countries, homosexuality is, it's not just, we're not just talking about like the right for um, a baker to, um, you know, not make a cake for a gay couple. In some countries, it is illegal to be gay. And the punishment for being gay is put in jail and executed. So the criminality of certain things can create a, a significantly, um, significantly fearful environment for certain people. Um, similarly, it just not even not even like those not even to be that specific. There are just some places in the world where mild criminal behavior is severely punished. Um, Singapore is probably like one of the most one of the most infamous examples. Um, you remember the guy who like vandalized stuff. Uh, I think it's like Michael Fay vandalized stuff in Singapore and was like viciously caned um, for vandalism, right? Like mild, um, you know, mild drug possession in some countries will put you away for 30 to 40 years. Um, I think it was in the Philippines, their president, Rodrigo uh, Duterte, dude, I got, I'm, I'm sure I'm screwing up his name. Um, Duarte, Duarte possibly. I can't remember his name, but um, there was a crackdown on, had a crackdown on drug dealers and like these drug dealers weren't even given trials. They were just executed by the police. So criminal behavior in, in other, and you know, the simply just certain doing certain things in other countries is punishable by extreme measures and, and creates also creates a, a, you know, a very fearful environment for, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I don't exactly necessarily feel, terrible for drug dealers but doesn't seem like you know people breaking into your house and executing you in the middle of the night is really the best idea for a government to be doing to to its citizens and then i i think the last kind of thing that'll hit on here i'll call this non-consensual policy and it's not that the government is just doing whatever it feels like even though it might actually kind of seem that way. But what I mean by non-consensual policy is that there, there are classes of people who have no say in the decisions that affect their lives. Um, in particular, children. Children do not have the right to vote. Um, so they are they are sort of at the other end of this non-consensual policy. Probably, not probably, definitely the most sort of, the, mo the biggest group that is affected by non-consensual policy are children. They just don't have they have not achieved the same rights as adults. Uh, in a lot of places, felons have um, foregone, uh, foregone the right to, to vote. And at certain, at certain levels, it just depends on, I, I feel like this depends on, um, at least in the United States, it depends on the state. Um, I don't know about other countries elsewhere in the world, but I'm assuming that a lot of uh, more, uh, more of their hardened criminals probably have, also, um, you know, as part of their, you know, as part of their prison sentences and things have also foregone the right to vote and have policymaking decisions. Um, some foreign citizens in, in this country and obviously in other countries um, don't have the don't have the explicit right to vote. They have they have rights in terms of, you know, basic human rights, um, you know, basic civil rights, but they don't have like any influence on, you know, someone who is studying abroad here in the United States doesn't have um, broad decision-making influence. Um, maybe if they're here long enough, they could vote or um, suggest stuff for, like at the local level. Uh, but in terms of having broad political power, foreign citizens in most countries have none. So that's, so 
generally speaking, that's what I mean when I mean like non-consensual policy. There are people that just don't have any right or should say have minimal say in certain decisions in their lives. Um, but there also are – and you can imagine how that would be kind of scary, obviously. Um, you know, especially if you are a, an older child who is – you know, an older teenager uh, who isn't an adult yet and you have an interest in politics and it's like, hey, by the way, you can't really do anything about this yet. Um, but there are also entities that have what almost would be kind of described as unilateral power. Um, and we're going to touch on this a little bit more here in a second, but school boards. A lot of school boards and school councils and, you know, whatever, whatever they call themselves um, can make sweeping decisions about the, the curriculum for an entire district with almost no oversight or or ability for the people in the district to do anything about it. Um, I know that's not every single school board, every single school district, but there are a lot of school, there's a lot of school districts that have, um, that have such incredible oversight, has such incredible sway and, and power that they, like their, their policies literally, it, not only not only do they affect their own districts and states, but like there are there are school boards that their decision making has caused um, uh, has caused like the um, you know the the people who publish and write um, school uh, classroom texts um, like like Houghton Mifflin and I can't can't remember some of the other um, school textbook companies they will tailor their books a certain way based off of like there's a there's a school board in texas it might and it actually might be like the state texas school board um has such sway that the way educational books for the rest of the country are printed are altered because of texas's input um florida and there are other states besides florida and texas um have empowered school boards uh college boards of trustees to change the curriculum at will um you know obviously florida's had uh, some very interesting and interesting, I, I, I mean that in a very terrible way, um, but has had some very interesting laws passed that are directly affecting um, education curriculum, um, specifically specifically um, curtailing the the state's ability, you know, the, the teachers in the state, their ability to even talk about gay people or black people and, and black people's contribution to American history. It's flabbergasting and disturbing but because of the way florida has empowered these school boards there's almost nothing that anybody can do about it so there is there are a lot of there are some very obvious or maybe less obvious um, instances of non-consensual policy and then stuff like the school board is a very Stuff like the school board situations are very disturbing sort of instances of non-consensual policy. All right. So <clears throat> is it really like is the the potential for horror in legislation really that bad? Uh, I say no, but I also say yes. I'll start with the no. Um, no, because most legislation is more nuanced than it, it seems um, when it comes to, you know, when you think about like political commercials and stuff, it, it's much more nuanced than it seems. Um, and the enforcement or I guess not the enforcement necessarily, but the uh, application of, of legislation is an equal, right? Like there are laws, a federal law can be interpreted different ways. Um, you know, that's why we have, uh, that's why we have circuit courts, the Supreme Court and, and what have you, um, for, you know, how, how laws are being interpreted. 
uh, for how laws can be interpreted. Um, you know, there are exceptions and loopholes. I know I'm speaking in generalities here, but there are exceptions and loopholes and, and things written into, into legislation that, that, again, makes it more nuanced than you would more nuanced than it seems. Um, there are jurisdictions that don't that don't even follow certain laws. Like there are jurisdictions that will not prosecute minor minor marijuana or other drug possessions, right? Like you you are caught with a couple of joints in your pocket. They're not at one point in time some certain jurisdictions would have put you in jail for like 5 years. And in a lot of places even though marijuana isn't federally legal uh <clears throat> because it's it's softening at the state level, there are places that won't even they will give you a fine and tell you to get on, tell you to get on your way. Um, you know, and, and, you know, conversely, think about it this way. There are, there are it, three years ago during the pandemic. And I don't, I don't know if you guys remember that or not. Um, there are sheriffs that just didn't vote, didn't enforce COVID regulations. So legislation is just very, it's, I'm not saying that like you shouldn't care about legislation, but it, it is, but it, it doesn't, it's not as sort of black and white and not as pointed as you might think if you're not if you're not someone who's into politics you might not necessarily might not necessarily know that so uh, you know again not that you shouldn't care about it but it, it isn't quite as severe as it seems um similar also you know most legislation is many layers away from any individual and again i'm not saying that you shouldn't care about the legislation that happens where you are or at the federal level, or whatever, but there, uh, most poli- most policy concerns individuals and entities with much larger impacts. You know, big big, big businesses, banks, um, the the uber wealthy. Those are the people that are sort of the I wouldn't say targets, but they're ones that are mo- those are the, the things that are most affected by certain laws and and. Uh, policies, laws, legislations, whatever you want to call it. Um, those are the things that are more outsized impacted by, you know, by certain regulations, right? Like when you think about, um, you know, they're like, uh, the clean water act or something like that, or, you know, some kind of, uh, anti-pollution, uh, policy in your, at the federal level or, or in your state, are they necessarily trying to catch the people who might be, who might throw, um, you know, a couple quarts of used oil out on their property. I mean, like, yeah, if they get those people, but I think they're more concerned with the factory, you know, belching, gal- you know, hundreds of gallons of waste every day into our waterways. That's what they're trying to, that's what's trying to be cracked down on. That's what the law is targeting. Again, not not that you shouldn't care, not that you as an individual shouldn't care or think about how laws impact you. And how they impact others. But for the most part, most legislation isn't targeting individual people. So that's my no. My, my general no. For why we shouldn't, we shouldn't kind of fall into the, fall into the idea that, uh, you know, all legislation is bad and it's horrific and, and it could lead to weird things. Um, this is my yes. Um, while the federal level gets a lot of attention, obviously... There is legislation at the state and local level that is far more impactful and has become the battleground for uh, for civil rights and, you know, and, and the passage of ultra repressive legislation, anti LGBTQ legislation at the state level, um, book bannings in, in schools and uh, in school districts and in counties, 
Um, there are concerted efforts f- with with legitimate with legitimate dark money coming in from alt right groups um, trying to take over school boards and trying to take over um, you know co- you know the boards of uh, smaller colleges and things like that. There are local loonies running for office who openly lie about their military service, criminal records, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, thinking about like thinking about like your local. Just in my in my neck of the woods, there was a a congressman who completely embellished his. Uh, I should say a congressional uh, a House of Representatives um, candidate um, who completely embellished his military record. There. Um, there's an individual by me. I think he represents. Uh, he he's running in a, a district that's like right next to mine. Um, and this guy every few years pops up. He wants to um, he wants to undo the Civil Rights Act, undo the Americans with Disability Act, and he wants to prosecute Obama for not being from uh, from the United States. And I, I don't really know the specifics of what why he what he thinks he's going to accomplish with that, but. Like there are local Looney bins, Looney Looney Tunes, um, who belong in the Looney bin, um, who are able to push their message a little bit farther simply by being candidate, being a candidate. There's a there's an example of this. There's a completely insane uh, person who runs who runs as uh, runs uh, as a Republican in uh, Cook County, Illinois, which is Chicago, in a dark blue um, Democratic area. So much so that the the GOP doesn't even bother really putting up any kind of money or any kind of fight in the area for um, uh, for the congressmen that represent this area, and and what that means is that they don't really care who runs under the GOP banner. And one of the people running under under the GOP banner is an open who's run multiple times in this district is an open uh, open racist, open anti open anti semite. Um, openly denies the Holocaust and has some very repressive ideas about uh, local legislation in the Chicago area. And again, no one would know about this if he wasn't running for office. But he has the platform, and there are, even though he's never won, there are people that vote for him. So when it comes to when it comes to that level of that level of policy and politics, yes, you really should be worried about it. Because the local level has much more of an impact on you. It has much more of an impact on your right to do things. On your right to what your kids can can or cannot read. Um, your right to, you know, certain, uh, you know, in other words, worrying too much about federal laws. Again, not that you shouldn't pay attention to these things. But there's so much more going on that affects you every single day at the local level. That kind of, I think, just gets... A lot of it goes unnoticed because it just isn't as dramatic or as wide sweep, as wide sweeping as um, some kind of big change in federal level policy. By the way, I promise this is the driest of these episodes because, uh, as it turns out, as it turns out, legislation is in fact boring. And like I said, like there's really so I, I will I'll wrap up the episode here by talking about the two movies uh, briefly. Talking about the two movies that we're going to watch uh, <clears throat> for this first leg of political horror for the body politic um there's just n- really nothing it, it shouldn't say nothing the offerings for this type of horror where the, the legislation is really at the center of it <clears throat> the pickings are slim and there's really only one 
I suppose I could just watch all of the Purge franchise uh, because that's really the only one in which the the exact in which the exact um, thing that we're trying to get at is actually happening. So we're anyway we're talking we're going to be watching uh, Battle Royale and the Purge, and I'll start with Battle Royale here because I think Battle Royale is from Japan uh, from two thousand from the year two thousand. Um, this might be the only movie of all the movies we're going to watch that are kind of testing the bounds of what you would consider horror. I think this is, it's very firmly a thriller, but it has so many horror elements, right? Um, lots of gore, lots of brutality. Um, I would say this is a hybrid action thriller um, and gore horror movie is what Battle Royale is. But The Purge does not exist without the, the, the huge success, the international success of battle royale um battle royale is one of those one of those movies that came along with like ringu the grudge um oh gosh um there's i know there's another i know there's a japanese movie that i'm forgetting right now um something from takashi Mikae that um uh, ichi the killer there you go um all kind of come through at this point in time and battle royale is probably the most um, of those mo- of of those movies, obviously Ringu becomes the uh, becomes the ring. Uh, I should say Juan, not the not becomes the Grudge um, here in the United States. But Battle Royale is the one that sort of it really is more so than the other ones that have uh, that have like m- sort of mainstream crossover success. Like the Ring, uh, you know, the Ring obviously is a one of the rare horror movie blockbusters, the grudge lesser, lesser than, um, than the ring, but certainly is a horror movie blockbuster battle Royale crosses over purely as like this word of mouth, intriguing cult classic. Um, and it still kind of stands the test of time as a cult classic, but regardless point being here, battle Royale gives birth to stuff like the purge. Um, so I, I think it's important to kind of watch that one, and 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 if we'll get into the synopsis of Battle Royale, but like it does get into the sort of the politics of politics and the social climate of Japan uh, at this point in time. Um, and then let's onto the purge here. As I said, the purge is really the only example of legislating legislation leading directly to the horror scenario. Um, it is it's obviously symbolic. And the later movies, the sequels, and the prequels, and uh, and the um, and the t- and the TV series, are much more symbolic and metaphor and analogous for other things. Uh, but and and the the original is, however, this is what this is sort of taking something to its logical extreme, right? Like we're gonna make all the the the, the whole gist of it. They're gonna make every crime legal sort of as like a psychological release every crime is legal for is it 12 hours or 20 i can't remember how long it is um but like that's not a that the idea isn't a metaphor the idea is here's what would happen if all crime was legal this is the this is the end result of what would happen if this kind of legislation came through so like i said this is kind of the only type of this is the only type where it's more literal, even though it is an extreme, the idea is more literal. There are more, there are other like analogous kind of horror movies um, that that have 
to do with policy legislation and um, sort of sort of bureaucratic structures like the Belko experiment, funny games, uh, ready or not. But these are significantly more satire and commentary on social issues, social issues and, bureauc- and bureaucracy um, with like heavy emphasis on satire and commentary. Where, whereas again, the purge does have that, but it is sort of a, an example of taking, taking a certain law to its literal extreme. So that's it for this little uh, warm up episode for this little mini sode here. Um, and the next time I talk to you, we will be talking specifically about battle Royale and the purge. So we will see you next time on our next installment of the body politic for this fright fest. Ooh, that was a terrible ending there. Let's try that again. Uh, four, eight, six, nine wipe. And I will see you next time on, see you in the, Oh my God. I just fucked it up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and my phone's going off. You can probably hear that too. So uh, let's just wrap this up by saying we'll see you next time as we talk Battle Royale and The Purge on the next installment of Fright Fest 5, The Body Politic. <laughs>